I'm recording now. Excellent. I'm recording now. I am now. recording now. Fantastic. There we go. So, I'll give you a quick rundown okay. of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, um, this is the Beatles swan song. I'm going, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about, um, the Phil, we're going to talk about the Phil Spectorization of the album and whether that works or not. And, uh, yes, and, we will. And uh, that will provoke interesting discussion, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the album itself and favorite tracks on the album, which is going to basically be me gushing about Long and Winding Road for, for a couple of minutes in a very kind of... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, we're in for trouble now, aren't we? I adore, oh, yeah. I I adore, I, we I certainly that song, are. I, recognition. I think it's. I think. It, I think it's Paul McCartney's best song. There you go. I, you've already have my All opinion. Right. Just. Oh, okay. Just remember. <laughs> just re I have in my notes. This song is why I don't like Paul. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be so great. I'm looking forward to this. But I love you, yes. Graham, and that's the so, most you know, right. Maybe See? you know. Just keep that in mind when you're about to go. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, fun and games ahead. Hello and welcome to A Year with the Beatles, a limited series of podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by the Beatles, month by month. My name is Graham Burke. On our 12th and final episode, we're talking about Let It Be and its triumphs and tribulations, and we'll talk about the specter of Phil Spector. Plus, we're looking back on our year with the Beatles, so stick around. As it's been every month for this year, here to audit the Beatles' discography is Rob Jones, a music critic and writer for the music blog The Delete Men. How are you this fine day, Rob? I'm feeling uh, happy, yet with a sense of melancholy, Graham. Yeah, that's about sums up my feelings too, Rob. And returning one last time is Shannon Dohar, a person who can be heard on a couple of different podcasts, including a whopping five episodes of this fine podcast. How are you, Shannon? <laughs> I'm very well, and I'm very honored to to be at the last yeah. episode. Well, we're oh, we're we're honored to have you here with us. So thank you. So by way of a recap, I'm going to play what I said way back in episode one. So here it is. So before we begin, I want to explain why we're doing this podcast. Basically, my New Year's resolution in 2016 was to listen to all the Beatles studio albums one a month, because if you kind of slightly tweak the discography and, you know, include Magical Mystery Tour, it comes out to about one album a month for a year. And so myself my, and a few friends have been doing this project already, and I thought, you know what, I want to talk about this with my friends, and what better vanity project is there than to record a discussion about Eat Munch Record? And so here we are, gentlemen. <laughs> and with that bit of instant nostalgia out of the way, let's talk about this month's album, Let It Be, which was largely recorded in early 1969, but released on April 6, 1970. And finally, we come to a Beatles album released after I was born, but about 15 years before Shannon was born. Anyway, here is everything you need to know about Let It Be, <laughs> In three minutes, more or less. Road. Hey. 
Smoke. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> So, Rob. Yes. Here we are at the Beatles' final released album. and I know. I know. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm reminded of the phrase used in the complete Beatles about it, which was so beautifully said in those wonderful tones by Malcolm McDowell. And Fifteen months after it was recorded, Let It Be was released. The album sounded like what it was destined to become. The Beatles' swan song. Well, you know, Rob, we, we, you can't disabuse Patrick Montgomery for having purple prose, but beyond that, would you agree with that assessment? Do you think it is the Beatles' swan song? Uh, I don't. Uh, I think, uh, I think as, as we sort of touched on uh, uh, last time when we were talking with Stephen about Abbey Road, I really think Abbey Road is the Beatles' swan song, like in, in almost every respect. Um, I sort of consider Let It Be to be kind of a coda, um, uh, really, kind of a, uh, an epilogue maybe, but, but not a swan song. I decided to actually look up what a swan song was, and it's a, mm -hmm. it's a metaphorical phrase for a final gesture, effort, or performance given just before a death or retirement. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm good under those, under those terms and conditions. I'm good with saying that it's a swan song. I think yeah. I think it's a final gesture. I think it is more of a coda, as you say. Are they ending with a superior work like Abbey Road? No, not really. But I think they're offering to the public this final gesture, which uh, to, uh, from an incredible career with, and I think it's got some great songs on it. So well, that's kind of that's kind of where I sit. Um, I think, as you said, under those terms and conditions, it would qualify as a swan song. Um, I don't really have a a, much of a dog in the fight of which album I would consider final Beatles album. So I, and I can see points to both. I will say that more so in Let It Be, I hear the things of each of their solo careers. Um, and so that kind of makes it feel more like a splinter and Abbey Road does feel more like a last group effort. So I would say that this, this album feels a little bit more splintered. And of course it, it makes sense given the production that it in for a lot of tracks it kind of felt more like a recorded jam session than anything else well why don't we talk about the album itself uh and i think before we can do that we've got to deal with the the phil specter sized elephant in the room so just to do a, a quick rundown if you know anything about beatles history then you know that the original idea of this album was that it was supposed to be a back to basics no frills unplugged live to tape experience called get back and Glenn Johns co-produced and mixed the recordings into an album that the band didn't really like all that much. And so it just sat on the shelf and eventually the Beatles business manager, Alan Klein, had Phil Spector produce a final album. And he deviated from the idea of a no frills, life to tape, unplugged album. And so what happened was the long and winding road went from this... this. guess my question is in terms of the listening experience of the album was this a good or bad thing uh okay rob i know you have opinions on this matter so why don't we just get them out of the way and well in some in some ways the whole get back uh project was very idealistic on the part of the beatles themselves and i think it's very telling that when they actually did listen to the the final result <clears throat> uh, they weren't happy with it because they were used to all the studio trickery by that time even though you know Lennon actually said to uh, 
to George Martin, we don't want all of your uh, studio trickery anymore, whatever it is. Which, you know, is kind of a, kind of a, I'm going to say mean thing to say, given how, you know, how important George Martin was to the Beatles recordings. And so I, I think in, in some ways it was kind of doomed from the start uh, for, for a lot of reasons, but, but for, the, you know, for the reason that the central idea was, was going to be flawed. Uh, and I actually think that Phil Spector is the polar opposite of the person you'd want to get to, to, you know, to kind of uh, create that, that effect, that, that sort of off-the-floor, uh, back-to-basics rock band effect. It seems like an odd choice to me, but given that it was Alan Klein that uh, kind of uh, was overseeing that, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Ba basically, I'm going to say that Let It Be it has some really good songs on it, really strong, like uh, particularly from John Lennon, but as an album, it's the only one I don't love. I like it okay, but I don't love it. Uh, and again, I love certain songs on it, but I don't love the whole, just because it doesn't sound like a Beatles album. It sounds like somebody, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just not quite there uh, in, in, on, the, on a whole uh, cohesion level, I suppose. I'm nodding ferociously <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the whole time. <laughs> I was just kind of nodding along. With an interesting uh, note, which is that as I was kind of preparing for this, I realized that Let It Be is maybe the album that I play the most, and I'm not sure why. Like, from, from beginning to end, it is arguably the Beatles album that I listen to the most, but I really... I think it's just, it's possibly just out of habit, which I think is interesting. And I will say um, nine times out of 10, if I'm listening to Let It Be, I'm listening to Let It Be Naked. So the Phil Spectorization doesn't work for me. Uh, I think it, it's generally not in the spirit of the Beatles and it's certainly not in the spirit of what they were going for. And it just feels weird. Uh, so when I'm listening to it, I'm listening to Let It Be Naked, but I'm listening to that album a lot, which, and I'm not, I, like, honestly, I couldn't explain why, but it just, it's, I think I can't ignore that fact. All right, well, this is the point where, to quote the poet Robert John Davies Jones, I'm going to kick your asses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah, here we go. I'm just, I'm just doing that bring it little gesture. Let here me we go. hear it. I, I am totally Team Spectre. I think the reason Paul McCartney is so pissed off about what happened to the Long and Winding Road is that he didn't come up with it himself. Oh, dear God. Um, I think the album is vastly improved by the additions. I honestly think that if the if the album was to be released the way they recorded it, they would have put it out when Glenn Johns gave it to them in April 1969. And I gotta tell you, I've heard bootlegs versions of Get Back, the album that Glenn Johns did, and it's a better album than Let It Be Naked. So I really think that, honestly, what Phil Spector did really was just... I, I, I don't think he actually made it sound like a Phil Spector experience. I think he made it sound like a George Martin produced Beatles album. And oh, I'm no, always good with that. I think I think I think Across the Universe is a vastly improved song with 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 with, with what he did to it. I think it I think the actual I think the actual recording of it alone with it alone is a damp squib. I actually if it if he had done it with say the nineteen sixty seven version of it that's on an anthology I'd be totally, I'd be totally there for saying no. They shouldn't have all those additions. But honestly, I think it's actually a kind of bland song on "Let It Be Naked." Hmm. I so yeah, I'm pro, I'm I'm pro Phil Spector. I kind of wish I'd brought Alex with me because Alex <laughs> actually agrees with me. And then then we could then we could have had like this rumble like Jets and Sharks. About this, but, you know, we would have been snapping but, a no. lot. Yeah, your snaps yeah, would have yeah, echoed, exactly. and our snaps would have just been like empty. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah you, 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 your arguments would be accompanied by uh, sappy strings and a choir. And, oh, I, and, and what what chance would we have, Graham? What what chance would we have against something God like that? God bless that sappy strings and choir, because frankly, I don't think I, I just yeah. I, for me, for me, I just I just feel like the album is missing something period i i think the original tracks are missing something and i think that's why they kind of say oh, i don't really want it let's not put it out and i think well you know graham you know i can be on this podcast or i cannot be on this <laughs> podcast whatever it will do to please you I'll do it. <laughs> you 
you've been holding that one for 12 months now, haven't you? That's right, son. <laughs> I don't know how we come back from that. I really don't. <laughs> I think we should just go to black at this point. And just, you know, audio gets cut and... Well, oh my lord. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> yeah, that's 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 the way wow. I feel about it, Graham, you know? <laughs> well, that's fine with me. Uh, Alright, fair enough. I guess we can go back to the studio and, and, and put out the Abbey Road episode now, if you want. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I think your idea of recording this podcast on your roof was kind of a bad idea. <laughs> There's a lot of ex- there's a lot of noise up here. It's like loud and cold. It's and... true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I know. It's true. And I think the cops are on their way upstairs. So <laughs> okay. Let's um. Why don't we move back <laughs> to talking about Let oh, It Be? God. Um. Uh. What are what are your favorite tracks on the album? Well, I will I will give you a double edged reply. So one thing that I will say, and I I I mean this with like all of the love that I have, the long and winding road the the originally recorded uh, released version um is nigh unlistenable for me (laughs) like i honestly almost can't get through it but i will say that as i was doing this and the more that i was thinking about it and the more that i was listening i think that it is possible that i've got a feeling is my favorite beatles song of all time i've got a feeling that keeps me on my toes oh yeah So Let It Be is like a is a very uh, polarizing album for me as well as for the podcast as a whole. I will I will second that. I will second I've got a feeling as as a great great moment in in the in the life of the band. It really showed that they had you know guts, right? It is the best of every single one of them. Yeah, it's really really strong. And you can you can hear them as a band for the first time in a long time, and they've brought the maturity that they have that they've experienced over the last several records along with them, but it's still just a great rock song. And and it, it it's the closest thing they get to to that sort of idea of playing as a as a foursome as a back to basics band again. You know? Exactly. Like, so the the album does have moments like that, uh, you know, and that that really redeems it. I would also like to say, in terms of Phil Spector, that he took off "Don't Let Me Down," and I can't, I can't uh, forgive him for that because uh, "Don't Let Me Down" is one of John Lennon's greatest songs ever, and I don't understand why it didn't make the cut. I just don't. And, and you know, "Let It Be Naked" brought it back. Don't let me down. That was such a such a beautiful moment in the in the film, uh, and uh, you know, and certainly on on record. And I, I don't get why they why he didn't include that. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna keep on making bring it <laughs> gestures. I'm just gonna say that honestly, uh, my favorite Paul McCartney song ever of all time is "The Long and Winding Road." And uh, Shannon, I love you dearly, but you can suck it. Uh, <laughs> wow! Wow! Harsh. <laughs> Harsh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I love you too, and I won't hold it against you. Your love for such a like a maudlin piece of nonsense. Well, that's that's entirely well, fair thing, because the thing is, I, I like that song too. Um, but I, I I think the whole I, Rob, well, I, I think pull it together. I think the point of it. I think the point of it is that it's supposed to be a lonely song. You know, it's supposed to have a sort of desolate quality to it. Um, and as a sort of piano song, it 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 sort of works that way, right? You know, I hate to keep harping on about this, but all of the filigrees and, and you know, all the production, mm-hmm. Phil Spector piling everything up against a wall type type production really undercuts that. And I can see why McCartney was pissed off, you know, Cause, because, yeah, because um, 
yeah, it, it, it works way better as, as just the sort of a desolate, sort of lonely man in a room type of song rather than, you know, on a, you know, on a mountaintop with, you know, surrounded by, you know, choirs and yeah. all that kind of crap. <laughs> I, I can, in fact, listen and enjoy Long and Winding Road on Let It Be Naked, and I almost can't get through it mm. on the, the original album. Yeah. <clears throat> I, wow, I've, I've never felt more apart from my friends in my entire life. But nonetheless, <laughs> right. nonetheless, it is my favorite Paul McCartney song. It is my favorite Paul McCartney song in, in its originally as released form in 1970 because I think the sentiment of the choir and the and, and the and the and the strings fits perfectly to the song. You left me standing here a long, long time. I, to me, it just sounds okay in its original form. I think, but I think with this, it just it just emotionally engaged me, and it, it's 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 always always been my favorite Beatles song. So it's, it's so it's obviously spoken to me for a very long time, or I've just been deluded for a very long time. Whichever you guys can have discuss, you can have this discussion in your solo career podcasts about it. As far as I'm Dif concerned, different so. strokes for different folks, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Yes, and you can, you like what you like, dear, and yeah. we won't hold it against you. No. When, Robert, when you have the Plastic Jones Band do its own podcast, you can, you can <laughs> go see right. what you like of it. That's right. The Plastic Jones Band. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to get Eric Clapton to play with me and just to piss off Alex. Oh, God. <laughs> so good. It's so good. So, uh, moving back to this album, uh, what are lesser songs on it with, that you would wish get get a little more love? I will ask Shannon first because I'm hoping she'll say "For You Blue." Um, I was just gonna say "For You Blue." <laughs> I do. Excellent. I do play to type. Um, no, I love this song. I love. I love "For You Blue." It's it's such a great song, and it's so. It does, as I was kind of saying in the beginning, it feels like a solo George song mm. and they each have a couple of those where it's like you could take this off of let it be and it wouldn't nobody would notice and for you blue is very deeply a George song but it's great and it's so I love the blues riffs Elmore James got nothing on this baby I love the Elmore James ain't got nothing on this baby. Like it's just all <laughs> joyful yeah. and fun and it's a great rock song and it's a great like rock blues, mm -hmm. blues rock, whatever the hell. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just love it. It's a great, great song. And I will also no. give some love to uh, I Me Mine, which is also like a very solo sounding song, but I love it. I adore For You Blue as well, and so, so there you go. I, I'm Shannon, Shannon and I will, will eventually, you know, talk again when we do the anthology podcast. Uh, but, but, but I mean, I, I love, I love it for that reason too. It was actually uh, for me personally. I think it was the first time I ever heard a slide guitar in my life. Um, yeah. it was oh. so, and it's so, it's so cool. It's He's so, so good fun. with it. Slide guitar is so fun. I can't play it to save my life, but I've seen, I've seen my dad used to play slide guitar sometimes, and it's super fun. Super fun. Uh, I think one of the things about uh, this era of the Beatles is um, George Harrison actually went to uh, uh, upstate New York uh, to visit Bob Dylan and the band, you know, and at that time Bob Dylan and the band were doing their basement tapes thing and they were, they were, they had just finished uh, doing uh, uh, music from Big Pink. So I think a lot of that influence, that rootsy influence, uh, Harrison took back with him. And uh, and sort of poured it into his own music, and you can really hear it in in For You Blue, that kind of back to basics country blues type of type of feel. So as they say, it is just a fun, uplifting song. And the other song I really like is Two of Us, which is I think a great opener on the album. And McCartney uh, and Lennon sound like they're vaguely having fun doing it together in a, in a way. And um... Two of us wearing raincoats, standing so low. Chasing paper, getting nowhere on our way back home. 
it's just nice to hear the two of them doing a song again after because they because so many of the, the other songs that have happened in the intervening albums have not really had John and Paul singing together in a way or they've been singing black ups on the other or it's it's just it's just not the same thing so yeah, yeah I, I really I really like two of us I've got a feeling is actually one of my favorites and I know we've already talked about it but it, it's interesting because in some ways it was a collaboration again with uh, with McCartney and Lennon um, McCartney had one half of the song and Lennon had the other and they kind of smashed them all together but it sounds so you know, like the, those two parts always belong together. And I love that, you know, Paul had the sort of growly rock voice and John had the crooning pop voice, you know, it kind of inverts uh, expectations there a little bit. Plus, it, it just rocks so hard. It's not an unrecommended song, but, you know, I feel like a song that isn't getting gotten talked about is uh, is Across the Universe, which I think is a beautiful song. Um, either either in the Phil Spector version or the Let It Be Naked version, I guess. <laughs> um, but but I, I, I think it's that and uh, I've Got a Feeling are, are two of the last really great uh, John Lennon songs that he did, you know, chronologically in release yeah. order with the Beatles. And and it, it has Across across the Universe, it just, it just, it, it, just, mm. it feels right. It, 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 it if, if uh, I love the lyrics of it, it just you know, words are flowing out like words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Oh my God! It just it, it just builds, and I, I just yeah, it, it's really really great. That's that I just wanted I just wanted to give. It's a gorgeous song, and similarly to that, I is we have to at least say a little something about Let It Be, which I feel the same way about it, that you do about Across the Universe, Graham. I just feel like it's. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. On the right day, that song will always be able to make me cry. It's it's a gorgeous song, and I think it's one of Paul's best. Uh, on both recordings, on both versions. <laughs> it is a gorgeous song. The lyrics are just so starkly simple, and I think that's partially why it works. It just, and, and I think the sentiment of it actually is actually quite uh -huh. sweet too. Uh, and when the night is cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me. Shine until tomorrow, let it be. Yeah, it's one of the songs that's just sort of carried on the weight of of the sentiment of it, and 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 not in a bad way. I think I think I think in a really great way. Why don't we focus on the final song on Let It Be, the original album, which was from the perspective of a listener in 1970, the last word from the Beatles. Um, we're talking about, of course, Get Back. This is the back to basics song that McCartney wanted, and it sort of has served as, I guess, a valediction for the band. What is it about the song, though, Rob, that you think causes it to still endure even after all these years? Again, it was an example of the band uh, that it, they were kind of getting back to basics with this song, and you know, I mean, that's the whole point behind it. But uh, they also managed to do something unexpected again. You know, they they're, they're doing something new even at the last. You know, even McCartney's voice doesn't sound like it normally does. You know, it's uh, he puts a little bit of a spin on it uh, in terms of his delivery. Um, and uh, Billy Preston, uh, who George Harrison actually brought in uh, to the sessions, yeah, he did. Is yeah, uh, and it was a great move. Um, Billy Preston would go on to be a recording artist for Apple, and Harrison would record his his record. Um, but in the meantime, uh, they brought him in, and he was. A, he, he, he is an extremely versatile, uh, he, well, he was an extremely versatile keyboardist. 
um, and he adds a load a load of really bluesy texture to this to this song. And in other places on the album, he's just indispensable. You know, like in, in some ways, uh, Billy Preston adds that sort of X factor to all the songs. Um, so uh, it kind of uh, it, it kind of departs a little bit from the idea of them playing just as a foursome. But he adds such uh, texture and color to all the songs, and Get Back being one of the one of the one of the biggest ones. His whole solo, his whole part, was invented by him as he sat there. You know, which is kind of a, a testament to his talent. I think I heard somewhere that basically at one point I think I think it was probably John or, or even maybe even George who tried to say tried to suggest hey maybe we should just bring him into the band yeah. as, a, as a fifth member and, and, and I think it was McCartney who said I wouldn't I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody um, yeah so. yeah that's <laughs> but right you kind of feel like wow you know he 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 would have been a fantastic addition to the band uh, like you Rob I love the solo on Get Back that's another part of the elements of of I've got a feeling that makes it so great is is yeah. his, his or is his organ on it um. I think for me the thing about Get Back that I love is 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 that it, it is such a goofy song. It is just, and I think that's part of the thing about the Beatles that is that I think everybody always used to love about them was that in many ways they 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 were funny people. They were goofy people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it's I think that uh, that you know the, the Beatles' final song is a song that begins. I think okay uh let's go with this <laughs> it's just it's really joyful it's such a joyful song and it's so you can just like genuinely rock out to it and you don't as great as the beatles were when they were challenging you and and pushing you to to think about music in a different way there's something like so fundamentally fun about being able to put on get back and just rock out for a little while and it is that like that is really the core of what made the Beatles so joyful, and I think that's what you're getting at, Graham. We 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 made it back. Uh, we're, we're all good. Uh, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Finally, there's another thought set on the complete Beatles that I wanted to quote. The title track offered the only attitude for both the group and their worldwide following. It had to be stoically accepted that the Beatles were, in the end, a phenomenon of the '60s, the '70s, and beyond but only to feel their influence. My question from that is, what aspects of Let It Be do you think were part of that influence? Or, or, is, there any, or is there anything from this coda that can be influential, Rob? Well, in some ways, I suppose one idea that was, I don't know if it was influential, but it's certainly indicative, uh, and that is that sometimes musical projects um, turn out to be something completely other than the artists intended by the end. Uh, and, and this is this is certainly, you know, a fairly big example of that. You know, people think of Let It Be as, mm -hmm. as a sort of, it was supposed to be a new beginning. You know, it was supposed to be getting back to basics and starting from, and getting a fresh start. You know, that was the intention behind it. But it ended up being the total opposite of that. It, it, it ended up being, you know, sort of a melancholic, you know, statement um, of that kind of... And I'm trailing off here. Um, that's, a, that's okay. No, that was beautiful. And I was just thinking, like, what else is there to let it be yeah. except the that you witness that when you've made a thing, it doesn't really belong to you anymore. Yeah, that's that's a in an interesting yeah. way. Like, you, no, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you in, in in so many ways to the point where you know someone like me can you know passionately defend their their love of long and winding road and across the universe as Phil Spector produced it, you know, even though that probably wasn't the intention of McCartney or Lennon when they recorded it. Mm -hmm. That's that once I listen to it, it becomes part of what I love and part of what I like. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the tension that always exists between 
between you know us the listener and 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 they the artists um and it, it will always be that way i also personally prefer the universal's edit to touch of evil to orson welles's as well so yeah filmmakers bring it on that's fine but <laughs> but you know I, I but you know honestly i think i think there is that kind of that that is the kind of ambiguity that exists I think that brings it to us to an end of our conversation on Let It Be. If you have anything you'd like to say, you can always send us an email at beatles at gemgeekerrarebug.com or visit our website at yearwiththebeatles.podbean.com. And now, as we do every episode, we're going to have what we call extra credit homework, where we listen to or watch some Beatles material that complements the album we're listening to. And this month, we've been listening to this. Hello and welcome to A Year with the Beatles, a limited series of podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by the Beatles, month by month, more or less. My name is Graham Burke. On our inaugural show, we'll talk about the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me, and delve into what the Beatles were like in their earliest form. But the song I really like uh, from the album is is a, is a deep cut. I, I, I never thought I would ever use the word deep cut ever, but, I got, but, but you know, here we are in a music podcast. Whoever is in charge of the fade-outs is not my friend. <laughs> it's like they when Lennon is singing it he almost forgets it's 1963 you know he forgets to be polite and uh, and he forgets to uh, to be really formalized when he goes oh yeah I want to be free as I said to you I think I'm very much a George girl anyway it feels like they're just they're just doing market dominance and okay now I have to kick your butt okay right now. by all means you do that right you do that I'm gonna leave that to well, the professional it's like yeah. hello we're here we've arrived that's the you know? I got a new Rickenbacker chord yeah that's the I'm gonna start folk rock chord yeah that's what that is you know uh it's uh, it's attention birds we're uh we're starting a new movement here and joining us this month is Joanna Ashwanden, a writer, blogger, and a former teacher. And in fact, she taught both Rob and I high school English. Hello, Mrs. Ashwanden. Hey, I am Rob. Nice to see you again. I hope we're not yeah. in trouble. My question, Rob, is are we there yet? Are we there yet? We. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. adore this song. I can't. I, I have a lot of feels about this song. Um, I have a lot of feelings. Fair enough. So anyway. I'm so excited I, for you. Just... You know, he's basically saying, you know, you and I had a good time, but I've met someone else, so uh, see you later. <laughs> you know, which is not exactly something you'd expect from the cute one. You know what I mean? It's 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 got a bit well, of a. What else is it? <laughs> I take issue. I think it's exactly what you would expect from the cute one. <laughs> Apparently, I have this thing where I introduce you to things, and then you take off with them. So uh, that's just I, I just add adding one more thing to the list, I guess. It and is leave true. me in the dust as well. I'm it is true. It is true. <laughs> Doctor Who, The Beatles. Yes. Um. Oh, you have a lot to answer for, buddy. I know. I know. Jeez. Here's the important question: Do you really think he burned down her apartment? Well, to go from the thoughtful and meaningful to the absolutely utterly geeky. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about track ordering. Now nah, you're wrong. This yeah, Kennard fellow is, is a bad influence on 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 podcast. They call me one take so, off. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> it's about some of those techniques. But classical composers um, were also maintaining those techniques. Is the thing like it wasn't like all classical? Why being dead? Well, no, it wasn't like all. Okay, so recap time. There's this band called the Beatles. They release twelve albums. We're reviewing them every month. Boom. This is where when Shannon grabbed me by the throat and like jostled my head around. Very, <laughs> <laughs> but when you like, good morning, good morning is the one that made me want to buy the sheet music. I'm interrupting the proceedings to warn you that the verse Jim is about to recite is really, really gross. He cracked an egg on a woman, or an, a woman cracked an egg on him before they, they did special cuddles. Take your pick from the words rubbish, piffle, chaotic, flop, tasteless, nonsense, empty, and appalling. But uh, even with that, I couldn't help but think, wow, it's like 1967 just threw up all over me. <laughs> it, ba basic, basically, that, that, that was my sort of guttural reptilian brain kind of reaction to this move to this uh, television show. 
awful. up to I the do side ex- to kick Alex Kenner yep, in the shins. Exactly, please. exactly. There's going to be lots of kicks for this because I'm going to piss you off even more in a second. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. I hate Eric Clapton on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah, <laughs> I'm at the front of the line uh, now uh, for the... This is great because I'm talking to two music experts, so I figure I figure you guys will fill in the rest. So, Fair enough. <laughs> Rob, why don't you start <laughs> filling in for me? That to me is always the yardstick for uh, uh, for good rock music. You know, does it make you jump on the furniture? If it does. It's good. You know, it's it's Beatles breakup sex. Let's face it. You know. <laughs> This is them going, you know, perhaps just sort of like, let's let's just do it one more time before we leave each other. Well, you know, Graham, you know, I can be on this podcast or I cannot be on this <laughs> podcast. Whatever it will do to please you, I'll oh, do it. No. That's right. For our extra credit homework this time, we've been looking back on this past year with the Beatles. Rob, now that we're at the end of the road, even uh-huh. after even a long and winding road at that, uh, uh, do you think there's a shape to the journey of the Beatles as a band? You know, looking at it now that we've kind of looked at it as a whole. Yeah, of course there is. I mean, I th- throughout uh, throughout the the, uh, the podcast and the episodes, um, my a recurring theme for me. Uh, that sort of reinforced my idea of what this band is about is that sort of mythic journey, you know, where they started off as very young men uh, in in a provincial town, uh, and they became sort of paragons of a, of an ideal, you know, and that was a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of pressure on those men because they were men in the end, you know, um, even though we hold them in our minds as this as sort of avatars of of a certain type of, you know, uh, artistic excellence, you know. So there, so there is definitely that shape, that shape of, of, of the hero's journey, you know, and it was fraught with peril, as we've, you know, as we've discussed. But uh, there's so many, there's so many uh, triumphant moments there, too, that, you know, ultimately, I think, I think that the Beatles story is a really hopeful one, even though it ended in, you know, uh, acrimony, it still it still retains its uh, its mythic quality uh, and, uh, and 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 its appeal its universal appeal almost. For me, it was kind of weird because I because I went back and listened to pretty much all of the pretty much the first you know first six of the Beatles album. I listened to every single episode of this podcast. That was insane, uh, but. But it was weird to go back to Please Please Me because I remember my questions from the first episode about did we see did we see any glimmerings of the future band they were going to become? And I thought at the time, yeah, of course you can see you can see glimmerings. Look at the chord changes and, and there's a place and stuff. But I have to say when I listened to the Please Please Me this week, having now listened to the whole year, I was kind of like you, Rob, at the time when we did the record when you, we did the first episode. I just heard. A pretty good bar band, actually. Yeah. yeah. Doing doing a set, uh, and 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 you know you can you can I can think you can actually literally hear their feet tapping on the floor of Abbey Road when they're when they're recording a couple a couple of their first songs. It's. I've lost her now for sure. I won't see her. So coming back to it is kind of strange. Shannon, I think, talked about it in terms of a series of plateaus uh, when we were talking about Sgt. Pepper's. So I think the first two albums sort of climax with Hard Day's Night, where at that point, the best the best they want to be is a good early 60s band, and, and they suddenly become, you know, a great early 60s band. And then, then you know, I, Beatles for Sale happens and Help happens, and they start transforming into something very different, and they just sort of massively evolve rapidly until Sgt. Pepper, and I think that's, as Shannon pointed out in the Sgt. Pepper's episode, that's the ultimate plateau. And after that, they just sort of grow and expand as far as the, their relationships with the other will take them, is is how I kind of put it. God, I was so wise. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> Do you have any other additional wisdom to, to supplement this with? <laughs> as, I've, as I've been thinking about this as the whole as a whole and kind of the Beatles canon um and it's very similar to Rob what you were saying Mm. but uh it's got a little bit more of a literary criticism bent because of course it does because I'm an English major to the last (laughs) um 
that I think about the Beatles canon as uh, what it's so pretentious, and I'm sorry, but it's true. What we call literary criticism a uh, building's Roman, which is a coming of age story. Um, and it's, you know, there's, there's examples of this all across and it's a version of kind of the, the mythic journey. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a little bit more rooted in, um, the kind of human foils and, and the, the fits and starts that we all kind of experience as we're growing up. Um, and I couldn't shake the, that they were each really having their own buildings, Roman story that we're watching, unfold over what 12 albums um but they're also having one as a unit and there is a real uh it's very similar to a buildings roman by the end of it you feel like okay everybody's grown up and now they're going to go and do their thing yeah when it's not to say that they weren't growing up before but from this point on like they're all on their own and they take that in different ways and they they live those lives in very different ways obviously but I think that's really interesting uh, because it, it explains a lot in terms of, you know, the reason that the Beatles endure. And that is may, maybe because, you know, as they grow, fans grow with them, you know. And in some ways, uh, the Beatles is very a very childhood thing for me, you know, because when I first discovered them, I was a child. Uh, and, it, and that stuck with me. So uh, it's very interesting that, you, that, that explanation that you gave, Shannon. Um, because I think it, it parallels a lot of the journeys that uh, the fans themselves were taking at the time when this music was coming out. It's almost part of why we all have a favorite Beatle. I mean, everybody loves having a favorite of the thing, but you almost, uh, what I have found is that most people loved, started loving the Beatles when they were a kid, and they identified very strongly with one particular Beatle, and you, you identify in whatever way, and you project yourself onto that person in whatever way. What would you say were the pivotal moments in the Beatles' journey? I, I, I'll name some of mine. For me, it, for me, one of their biggest pivotal moments is the one that I think is the most underrated. I think it's Beatles for Sale, which I consider to be the kind of, to use a pop culture term, I think it's the soft reboot of the Beatles. This happened once before When I came to your door No reply They said it wasn't you But I saw you peep through your window I saw the light I saw the light uh, mm. it, it's it's the one that sort of reboots them as something different than the sort of than the sort of you know popular beat combo that they were in their first three albums and and says well these guys have got other interests and other really different styles and have a lot more tricks up their sleeve and then I would say the next the next one would be rubber soul which takes sort of things that happen in isolation and help like yesterday and help and sort of actually really really develop that into something really strong and sort of reinvented the pop album in a way i think revolver is probably next uh which pretty much reinvents everything uh Sergeant yeah. pepper which reinvents all of that and i would say abbey road um just as just uh, just just as uh, good Beatles breakup sex, as, as Stephen said last month. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, but I, I think those are, for me, the pivotal moments, certainly, when I listen to the band. That, that's sort of where I kind of sit. Uh, Shannon, what would you say would be the pivotal moments? Um, I hear those as well. I think I think the, the musical pivotal moments of the Beatles are pretty universal. I mean, obviously, Sgt. Pepper as kind of the ultimate switch. Um, I would throw the White Album in there as well. But I also think that the Hard Day's Nightmare movie was a really interesting moment. Then we'll have that thing off as well, thank you. Well, uh, an elementary knowledge of the Railway Act would tell you that I'm perfectly within my rights. Yeah, but we want to hear it. There's more of us than you. We're a community of charity votes up the workers and all that stuff. Then I suggest you take that damn thing into the corridor, or some other part of the train, where you obviously belong. Give us a kiss. And I do think that it allowed them to own the kind of personality views that had been thrown upon them and to shape the narrative. And I think without that, you would miss a really vital part of the identity of the Beatles. So I would, I would want to throw a word to that. Well, uh, there, there are several in their early career. Um, uh, uh, their appearance on Ed Sullivan, of course, had a you know, huge social effect on them uh, and on people who were watching that particular broadcast, and we talked about that a little bit. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, getting back to, to their music, uh, Yesterday, I think, was a game changer, and I think we talked about that pretty extensively with, uh, with, on the Help episode, um, just because it opened up so many musical possibilities for them. Uh, and then, you know, around the sort of mid-60s when they were playing with, uh, with tape loops and things like that, Tomorrow Never Knows is an epic track, still, you know, confounds people today, so I think that that's another one. The entire Sgt. Pepper record, uh, in terms of its concept, in terms of its, you know, the way that they presented it as the album as tour type of thing, uh, and, you know, fr framing themselves in a certain way that had never been done before uh, was, uh, you know, a, an enormous achievement. Um, and I don't know, there, I think there were little signposts along the way, even as they were, even as their union was beginning to crumble, you know, between them. You know, there were still some really solid musical moments. And they were still trying to do good work, you know, the whole time. You know, and, and maybe maybe it wouldn't have been as fraud if they'd just, you know, if they'd not taken that so seriously. I guess my final question is, uh, what was it like for you to have gone through this year with the Beatles? And I guess I'll ask that question to you, Rob, because I kind of dragooned you into, into doing this. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I wasn't entirely on uh, an unwilling uh, an unwilling party, Graham. So, um, but I suppose uh, I suppose the the journey through uh, to be to be quite honest, it's just been great to be able to to talk about it with with people I know and people I respect. You know, and not to get too mushy on you guys, but uh, that I mean that that's been a huge uh, element to this for me. But as far as the music itself, I mean, I'm just amazed that uh, that the journey from, you know, please please me to let it be is not that long, historically speaking. It's like seven years, you know? What does a band these days do in seven years? It, that, that alone is amazing to me. Uh, and I suppose I'd always been aware of that, but, you know, uh, going through it record by record uh, really brings, brought that out for me. You know, it's, am it's an amazing thing they achieve. Just amazing. I would echo both of those things. I think the... And obviously, partially as a listener and partially as, as somebody who's been involved in a couple of these things, um, it's been such an amazing excuse to reconnect with a band that, you know, you always know that you love the Beatles, but sometimes you don't think about it very much. Um, or at least I don't think about it very much. Like, they are just always there. And I, I think that is part of having grown up with them since I was very, very young and having, like, signposts of my life as a Beatles fan for, you know, all of these long 31 years. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that it's easy to take them for granted and to uh, not, not think too much about all of the revolutionary work that they really did and how much they've meant to people. Um, you, can, you can lose that very easily. So it's been wonderful to have the excuse to dive back in. And the thing that I've enjoyed the most listening to the music uh, is finding new tracks that I took for granted or really just didn't listen to very much uh, as I was growing up. But also it's been listening to the things that I've loved since I was a kid and still loving them. And the that power of, of the music to hold up, like of course the Beatles hold up, but it's still really great that they do. Yeah, like you, Shannon, I, I, I don't think I'd listened to the Beatles in years, uh, which is so funny to say, given that I just spent a year mainlining them. But I, I, I think I got the idea to do this sort of year-long re-listen because I bought a couple of the remasters, and I, I think I got really excited about how Sgt. Pepper sounded. And I even remember, I think I remember texting Alex Kennard at the time and saying, oh my God, I'm listening to Sgt. Pepper for the first time in years, and this is this is, this is a really incredible album. And he, and he kind of said, bored, very bored text back, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but, 
but because it, you know, and in all honesty, I hadn't listened to every album of the Beatles. Um, I'm a, I'm almost ashamed to say I, it was, I was a very I I'm a sort of I would say my fandom for the Beatles is very kind of post 1965. I'd say I, so so for me, you know, it's sort of the catalog from Rubber Soul and onwards. So a lot of the early stuff was completely unknown to me. So and so it was really great to sort of go through it as a whole and see how how they developed and sort of get a kind of complete picture of their of their genius as a band because as you say rob you know seven years is not a long time and they do so much and they evolve so much as musicians and and for me even if you don't like the beatles you have to kind of realize that these guys really broke incredible new ground and things that even 50 years later you know you know how we define what an al a music album is how we define popular music how we sort of even define you know musical growth in the in the past 50 years i think come from you know with the come from the beatles initially so yeah it was it was a really great experience to have done it and i'm really glad that i did do it and and it's probably the only new year's resolution i have really resolutely kept in my entire life so i'm very pleased about that <laughs> as well but I'm so glad I did, and I'm glad I, I, uh, I, I, you know, I'm glad I'm glad we did this podcast together because I was really kind of I, I was so keen on what I was listening to. I thought I want to be able to talk about it. And I want to be able to kind of memorialize it in a way that we can actually sort of have those have you know keep keep that discussion going. So I'm really glad we did that. I wanted to close with a quote from a really great article by Mikhail Gilmore from Rolling Stone in 2011 about the breakup of the Beatles. Um, and he closes the article by saying, the story of the Beatles was also in some ways bigger than the Beatles, both the band and its individuals. It was a story of a time, of a generation reaching for new possibilities. It was a story of what happens when you reach those possibilities and what happens when your best hopes come apart. Yes, it was a love story, and love is almost never a simple blessing. Because as much as the Beatles may have loved their communion, the world around them loved it even more. That was the love that, more than anything, exalted the Beatles, but also hemmed them in in one way or another. And they could not withstand it. John Lennon in particular felt he had to break that love, and Paul McCartney hated to see it torn asunder. Once it was done, though, it was done. Everything it made... Every wonder still resonates, but the hearts that made it happen also unmade it and never truly recovered from the experience. It was all such a long time ago, George Harrison said many years later. Uh, sometimes I ask myself if I was really there or whether it was all a dream. And I think that's a good place to close this off on. <laughs> actually, Graham, yep. actually, Graham, I should say, too, that uh, now that we're finished our podcast, I'm... Uh, I'm suing you, and I'm putting out my solo album the same day as yours. <laughs> Rob, I, thank you for that, because Graham, as always, was going to make me cry. So no. thank you, Rob. We all needed that. And that's the end. This is the final episode of your year with the Beatles. Later in 2017, I'm hoping that Rob and myself might come back from time to time with updates on the Beatles' post-breakup career, but... This is, for now, as far as the journey takes us. All that's left is to thank a few people. I wanted to thank all the people who participated in our regular and supplemental episodes. Bill Evenson, Andrew Flint, Joanna Ashwanden, Petra Mayer, Erica Ensign, Alex Kennard, Jim Sangster, Stephen Shapansky, Felicity Kuznets, and, of course, you, Shannon Dohar. You've been an amazing correspondent in all our discussions, so thank you so much, sweetie. Oh, thank you, guys. And I also want to thank my best friend since 1975, Rob Jones, for thinking that the idea of doing a bunch of podcasts on the Beatles were a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I, yeah, it certainly was a good idea, Graham. Thanks. After Rob, I promise after I get my next book done, we will definitely do something together. I promise. Awesome. And that's it for us and our year with the Beatles. I'm Graham Burke. Thanks for listening. Oh, I know I'll never lose affection.
Oh, I should get mine here. There you go. Okay, yes. Okay. Good. Got the mouse off the table. Good. You finally learned that after a year. Excellent. Here. <laughs> <laughs> you. Oh, snap! <laughs> It, it was actually. I've got a feeling. Was that what? Whoa! That's okay. my phone ringing. Actually, sorry. Hold, hold on a sec. Hold on. Graham. Hey, I'm in the middle of a call. Can I call you back? Correction, just here. Okay. Right. Are we? Are we? Are we clear? Sorry, that was Julie. We're clear. <laughs> We're clear. All right. Yes. I've got a feeling. Take three. Take I've got a feeling. <laughs> take three. The outtakes on this are going. I know. To be we'll have a, we'll have an extra disc fly on the wall thing, like 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 uh, let it be naked. <laughs> um, yes, I know. They are arguably my favorite part. All right, so I've got a feeling. Take three. Uh, I've got a feeling is actually 